0: You're listening to the Kitchen Obsessed Podcast. Every week, we discuss the challenges facing modern restaurant kitchens and the technologies to help solve them. Now, here's your host, Sean Schenkel.
1: All right, hello everyone. This is the Kitchen Obsessed Podcast and I'm Sean Schenkel. This podcast focuses on the evolving challenges facing restaurant kitchens in 2022 and beyond and specifically how emerging and changing technologies, changing operational approaches, et cetera, can help solve those problems. As always, our goal is to make this podcast useful to operators. And to that end, please let us know what subjects you'd like discussed by emailing us at podcast at com. As long as it has to do with operational and technical challenges and solutions in and around the kitchen we'll look at hosting an industry expert to discuss it or maybe even you. Today, we are talking to Sterling Douglas, co-founder and CEO of Chally. Chali is one of the leading demand generation aggregators, meaning aggregating orders from third-party delivery providers, digital ordering systems, etc. into the point of sale. Today, we're going to be discussing how to think about and possibly prepare for changes in consumer demand for delivery and takeout due to inflation and a possible recession. Sterling, it is great to have you. Thanks for having me here, Sean. I'm excited. Awesome. All right. Well, let's dive in. Describe who Chali is today, how it's evolved over the past several years. Just give us a quick update on the business and then we'll dive into some of the operational changes we see in the industry.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, what started six, seven years ago as the little dinky uh, Grubhub integration company has uh, <laughs> really, really expanded over the past six, seven years into a much more holistic kind of off-premise champion for our restaurant operators, especially in the in the SMB space. Uh, we work with everyone from single location mom and pops up to thousand location enterprises. Uh, the mission of Chally is to simplify technology for restaurants. Uh, every year, that seems to take on a different meeting. Um, you <laughs> yes. know, we've technically been along uh, around longer than Uber Eats. Uh, right? So Uber Eats was new and uh, after we'd started, so we brought them in. But everything from helping getting on Google, managing menus across all of your digital assets that you have as a restaurant, working with dispatch solutions, reporting, call center, anything that's going to help a restaurant get orders and menus translated between all the digital mediums. That's what we're helping simplify.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. We had Derek Rosenbaum, the president of Groucho's on a couple of episodes ago, and you all really have helped him a lot. So he's a big fan.
0: Derek is great. Groucho's is a good customer. they, They seem to really know what's going on over there. They're definitely one of our more forward thinking groups that we've been able to bring on the platform.
1: Let's talk about third-party delivery. Let's talk about, you know, how it is evolving and changing. And then we'll kind of move into a discussion around operational, technical changes that may be coming in light of inflation and a recession. But I'd love to know how you all are thinking about regional DSPs. And so what I mean by that is, so we know that there's the big three, four, right? It's really three. It's, you know, Grubhub, Uber Eats, and DoorDash. And we know they've vacuumed up a lot of regionals, but especially in our experience with SMB chains, you know, regional demand generation, regional delivery providers can really make or break a local operations in towns, especially sort of your your second and third tier cities. So how are you all thinking about them? Are you waiting for the big guys to buy them up? Are you working on bringing them into the platform? And how do you think about delivering value with them into your customers?
0: Yeah, no, this is a great topic. So regional DSPs are very interesting because if you're not from the area, you probably don't know. But if you go to the state of Wisconsin, for example, and you're ordering in in Madison or any of the cities in Wisconsin, you order on a platform called Eat Street. And Eat Street does really well there and they produce a lot of volume. And so the restaurants that are on this Eat Street platform do very well and they're doing really meaningful dollars through that. Uh, but if you're from California, you probably haven't heard of them before. Yeah. Uh if you know, groups like Waiter, uh, right, they made a little bit of noise when they went public, uh, but they do very well in the southeast region of the US. Yeah. Uh you look at a, you know, even if we want to zoom in even more, you know, a company called Delivery Dudes, uh, really well. In- yeah, yeah. Florida, right? Yep, yep. Really. And they've got we we see them do a lot of orders through there. Uh a company called Mosh, you know, if you're in Boulder or Fort Collins, Colorado, they do a, a lot of volume there. So these regional players are important, but you have to know where they are. So one of the things that Charlie's done for a while and, and how we help, we have what we call a partnership program, uh, where we are basically looking at your zip code, we'll tell you, here are all of the regional DSPs that we have, and we can get you on you know, really easily, take care of all your menus and order integration. And it's interesting to see that like when we'll add on, you know, eight nine platforms at a restaurant, and one of them will take off, uh, and one of them will provide a lot of value, and that restaurant or that operator might not have known. And in a lot of cases, they're overtaking that big three. Hmm. And I'm also going to edit your big three slightly because I think it's the big four now. Okay, good. Google's online ordering, uh, order with Google, is our fourth highest platform. Really, um, on orders that that we integrate across across the country particularly for SMB operators, is where we see a lot of success.
1: So for Google now, are you seeing it for takeout or for delivery, meaning orders, are they coming in through order with Google and then being sort of dispatched out to a delivery provider or are they coming in for pickup? What's the volume there Uh, and what's the distribution? It's actually, it's the majority
0: of it is pickup. Oh, good. Wow. Which as SMB operators should know, like that's a more profitable channel. Yeah. Right. These are uh, you're going to have less issues. You're going to spend less time working with customers if the driver's late or if they get lost. It's easier to manage. And yeah, I mean, we're seeing overall across the whole landscape. We've got several thousand locations live on Google on our platform. Um, It's seeing like about three, two to three to one as much pickup as delivery. Now, some of our groups are doing really well in delivery there, too. We've got a group in Scottsdale, Arizona. That they're doing more delivery through their Google platform than they are through any of their third parties. Oh wow! Um, that that they're on. So there's definitely cases where you can do a lot of volume on delivery, but on the whole, we actually see a lot more pickup.
1: Okay, so let's let's keep talking regionals, and then we'll move our way down into some practical advice here. So you you all are embracing the regional players, embracing them, bringing on the platform focusing on sort of a single menu management tool to be able to manage your menus and I'm sure hours and availability across all of those channels which for operators of all sizes is a very powerful tool. Are there more out there? Have you you gone as sort of as far or as deep as you either can go or are going to go? So I guess two-part question. One is, have you reached your limit? And number two, if I am in some of these small regions, which may have a regional player and not a lot of else, do I need to think about integrating it into my BOS system?
0: question. In terms of Charlie's reach, we're always going to look to add on more partners. And part of the reason is because there are more out there. And it's interesting, it's been a little bit of an accordion effect, right? So there was an explosion of third-party marketplaces and online ordering tools. And then we went through a solid five, six-year period of tons and tons of contraction. Big groups like E24 were purchased, Order Up, Caviar, Waiter merged with Bite Squad, and before that merger, Byte Squad had bought twenty plus different local providers across different markets and merged them all the one. And now, what we've started to notice is that there's been a little bit of rise and increase in some of these independents, hmm. um, in particular because there's a good amount of like local knowledge yeah. that that can help with these little markets. So if you're in, you know, Fort Collins, for example. There's a group that's basically building up, like they know all the restaurants there. They have their own driver network. It's a nice like closed loop. It's not relying on national fleets. And they work with restaurants to basically like co-market. They give restaurants like little ownership. And you start seeing all these different you know, views on it. In, in New York, even a company like Lunchbox bought a free marketplace to, to try to build it up. There's um, you know a group called Sesame that's trying to, to come and do much lower commission based co-ops. And so we're actually seeing more of these partners. And so we want to work with as many as we can to get them on board so that they can help those restaurants.
1: So basically, it's reinforcing the idea that, especially outside of your major urban areas, we all know the restaurant business is a local business, um, no matter how big the city, no matter how much things are aggregated. But I didn't have any idea that newer regional players and maybe even just city or town players, it sounds like the value of the bigger players, whether they be bigger regional or even the nationals, they're not delivering the value that the local the, these local new upstarts can deliver because of that local knowledge. Do I do I dare to say what I heard you say there? I mean, look, it's a uh, restaurant should
0: know better than anyone. It's it's hard to scale hospitality. And yep. when you have a local group, you know, the guy, right, you know, the yep. drivers, That's going to provide a better experience for the restaurant and potentially for the customer. When you're DoorDash and you're managing tens, if not hundreds of thousands of drivers, it's hard to maintain that experience at such a large scale. And so there's some opportunity there for sure. Um, And we're seeing a little bit more. It's early days. But um, I'm expecting after a long period of contraction, there's actually going
1: to be a little bit of expansion here. That's good. All right. So then on to the second part, which is I am in Fort Collins or Duluth. Do I need to, and if there's only one player, do I even need to think about um, integrating it or getting it integrated into my tech stack?
0: Yeah. I mean, even if it's one player, it's mostly about volume. I mean, look, if, if you don't make a lot of menu changes and you're getting like one, two orders a month, you can kind of let that tablet sit there and enter it. But if you're doing meaningful Revenue, if you want to make, you got to make these menu changes, there's going to be a very inherent labor savings that you're going to get on that. Even if there's, you know, one local player that does particularly well, if you make a menu change on your point of sale, you don't want to then have to also go to the tablet and make the menu change there. It's going to create inaccuracies. Um, You've got an 86 in two places. You have to remember to do that. You've got to pay staff to key the orders in. So even if there's one, like it still makes sense. And the reality is, is that there's almost never only one because DoorDash's strategy leading up to their IPO was tertiary markets. It was tier three, tier four markets. Mm -hmm. It was suburbs, it was rural areas. I don't think there's a market that I can think of that doesn't have at least two or three or four options available to them. Even in some of the smaller towns in Oklahoma, uh, we've seen um, some good progress on multiple platforms.
1: One of the next things I wanna talk about is, do you find from some of these regional players and even these smaller local players, that they have the tech stack built enough to be able to integrate into Chally or some of the other aggregators or the desire may be there, but maybe the tech isn't yet. What are your thoughts on that?
0: We've had, uh, everyone from one person startups to large enterprises build to our API and, and get going. The, the technical chops, so to speak, uh, requirement yeah. to get to the integration. It's not a high barrier um that's kind of the whole point of of why we exist so uh we haven't seen too many issues in some of the smaller regional players getting connected you know to get those integrations
1: that's good okay so um the takeaway on that is still choice for those rural small town operators don't overlook the upstarts because there may be local knowledge that they have. Um, so it'll ultimately be about the audience they serve and the demand they can bring in. Third, if we have volume going through, strongly consider, even if you're in a small town, having some type of an integration just to reduce errors, to reduce you know menu changes, things like that. If not, stick with the tablet. But if, if like you said, there's we're starting to see some meaningful volume and um, you're not having to manage a lot, then it's definitely worth it. All right, so let's move and talk about do we need to have, especially outside of the major, major urban areas, and you see a lot of big brands doubling down on one delivery service, you know, one national DSP, but if I'm a, an SMB operator, sort of in, you know, smaller or rural, small town, rural, the third and fourth level cities, do I try to pile on a bunch? Do I find one, maybe two that I can sort of really dig into? What are your thoughts on that?
0: all the third parties have programs and they can do some loyalty and you can do some, some couponing and and things like that. You know, everyone's going to try to give you a lower rate for exclusivity, but at the end of the day, you're just going to miss out on orders. Mm. And so everything that we've seen has shown that maximizing the third parties is just how many you can get live and to spend your focus and your marketing dollars and all of that on your first party channel. If you're gonna be spending time working on, you know, doubling down on a specific third party, spend that time on your first party, spend that time on your own brands. Yes, there are some benefits of doing it. If you do that, sometimes they'll commit some promotional dollars, right? They'll pay for part of your BOGO or they might lower your commission rate. A lot of times it's at the expense of time and investment you could be putting into your first party channel, which as a long-term, is going to give you more payback on building your own brand. So leverage the third parties for the volume, make sure that you make money on it, make sure that your pricing is appropriate for it, get a good operational flow so that you can do the handoffs. But your first party ordering, that's where your experience and your brand is solely being put on the line. That's where you wanna invest the absolute best experience.
1: All right, that's good. Let me just recount a couple of that a couple of things that you said there. So, when we talk third party versus first party, what we're talking about is your own native online ordering, branded your brand, you keep the customer data, your website, your app. That's first party. Third party is like the delivery service providers, DSP things like that. You said make sure your pricing is right and and what I hear you mean by that is essentially mark your pricing up to cover or to counteract your, um, the percentages that that the DSPs may be charging. Did I hear that right? It, you should not have
0: an item on your third party menu that you don't make money on, like right? It. Like See, it, it, it's, uh, that's a very expensive marketing technique. And so that needs to be taken into account uh, okay. when you're posting these menus, even your first party online ordering, there's menu differences. Your delivery and pickup menu should probably be a little different. You might have an item that does really well at pickup, but you've found that when it's delivered, especially by third-party drivers, the care isn't taken, it doesn't perform well. Don't have it on your delivery menu.
1: And there's another side to that too, which is first party is your... Um, that's your sort of your future, your brand, your image. Guard, protect, invest in that. And if you do, to your point, have, um, say, an item that doesn't travel well because of care, and it may travel fine on pickup, but because of sort of the time for DSP, only keep it on your pickup menu, but that also then can drive unique value beyond just price reduction to your pickup menu. So I think that that is a, a good thing. So, all right, let me bring this now over to the kitchen. Yeah. So we are piling orders, demand gen into the kitchen. There's all this talk about managing that throughput, throttling it. What are your thoughts on that? The honest truth is that- We only want the
0: honest as, truth. Uh, the restaurant tech space has work to do to make sure that there are features are being provided that help restaurants on that and on that operational flow, because the reality is- it's just not there. The primary focus of, you know, third parties is to drive volume. It's not necessarily to help it be as efficient as possible in the kitchen. So that's where they invest their resources. And there's there's been a lot there has been progress. I mean, even just on the menu side being able to support nested modifiers on third parties. That's a new thing. It's really only mm-hmm. been around for, you know, a year or so. And so there's still work to be done. I mean, like throttling That's tough. There's a lot of different ways that you can do throttling, right? You can increase your quote times. um, You can just pause ordering when you're too busy. And there's other ways that you can potentially do it as well. But all of those different throttling techniques, there's just not a lot of support for them right now. Um,
1: And it's somewhere where we need to make some progress. I agree. So, all right, what's your, your opinion? Do I pause, quote unquote, um, because I think the, the the quote time piece, there is work to be done there. It seems like a lot of operators that we talk to, just if they're at a peak time and they're just getting hammered with off-premise, they turn it off for that peak time. I want to know, unvarnished, what your opinion is of that approach. The most interesting idea that I've heard
0: on this particular problem is that don't increase your quote times. Don't turn it off. Uh, charge more there we go if you know the kitchen is backed up and you know that that nth order is going to be further out and harder for you to execute continue to charge more until you've reached a point where no i'm not going to pay this much because that nth order to you the risk of executing it well gets higher and higher so if you can slow that down but still take advantage of the
1: revenue dollars is that practical right now, given the current state of technology for these for especially the SMB operators like are we able to have to do menu switching in the middle of even if it was pre-planned right say from 11 to 1 11 a.m to 1 p.m I have a higher DSP pricing. will the tech currently support that? Um, I don't have a blanket answer for you. The real answer is it
0: depends. Some mm-hmm. do, some don't. There are also some situations where some groups don't even want to support that and sometimes they do. And I think it's a really new space. I don't think we've really pushed far enough there. I know there's a couple companies that are, that are working on it, um, but that one's the most interesting to me um, because I think it adds a level of sophistication we haven't seen in the restaurant space to solve a problem we've had for a very long time. And I'm a big fan of non-obvious solutions.
1: I like it. Okay. So I'm going to say back to you, dance, because there's not a straightforward one. So I get it. I'm on board. And some third parties can embrace some, maybe not. I think if I'm an SMB operator, do everything I can not to turn off a channel. And so I think, think about the strategy. You know, some people are increasing the promise times during peak hours. It's really platform by platform. If you're able to set a menu with higher prices during specific the time period. So take a look at your platforms and see which ones could support that. It's These are experiments that people can try now because um, eventually the tech will catch up. Tech companies are here to solve problems. And so, you know, the problem is pretty pervasive. So we are having a great conversation with Sterling Douglas, the co-founder and CEO of Chowley. There's a lot of great stuff packed in this one. So we're going to break this up into two episodes. So we're going to pause now on this one and stay tuned for the next episode where we continue the conversation with Sterling. Thanks, Sterling, so much. Thanks for having me, Sean. This was fun. Thanks for listening to the
0: Kitchen Obsessed podcast. If you work in a restaurant and are interested in appearing on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at freshtechnology.com and tell us your story. We'll be back next week with more tips from the kitchen.